Hello, you're listening to the abridged version of Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full-length version of Book Shambles and also get loads of other extra treats and bits and pieces, then why not go to patreon.com slash bookshambles. Anyway, here's the abridged version with loads of really interesting things that were cut out. I mean, there's lots of interesting things you're still going to hear, but some of the things you're missing out on. Hello and welcome to Book Shambles. Producer Trent here. Thank you off the top, as always, to our Patreon supporters. If you are a Patreon supporter of the Cosmic Shambles Network, and specifically the Book Shambles podcast, you get extended episodes of this podcast each and every week, plus you get access to... Uh, our other series, An Uncanny Hour and Tips for Existence and lots of other behind-the-scenes stuff as well. Uh, series 1 and 2 of Tips for Existence and Uncanny Hour are out now. We are currently working on Series 3 of both of those. Guests coming up on Tips for Existence include Katie Brand, Anil Seth and David Bedil. So look out for that. And Uncanny Hour Series 3, we're looking at uh, Round the Twist and Suspiria and Walkabout, and Don't Look Now, and various other things as well. So keep your eye out for that. Sunday Science Shambles uh, Q&A returns this weekend. All things going to plan as well. Series 3 of Wife on Earth, Joe Neary's comedy podcast, has just concluded as well, so you can listen to all of that on the Cosmic Shambles Network. And special mention on this episode for the Brain Yapping podcast, hosted by Rachel England, and our guest on this episode of Book Shambles, Dean Burnett, is still going. New episodes pretty much every fortnight looking at mental health in the pandemic. That's enough spiel. That's enough... uh, advertising it's not advertising really is it it's just uh, mentioning some stuff we've been doing so let's get on to this week's episode robin and josie are joined by the neuroscientist and author dr dean burnett um anyway hello welcome to josie and robin's book shambles uh We've got a, a, someone that we've spoken to many, many times uh, before and someone that I always enjoy speaking to and uh, is just someone who manages to um, help, I think, many of us understand the brain that we carry with us in our skulls at all times, at least the majority of us. I won't leave out anyone there who sometimes leaves it on the sideboard. Um, so, hello, how are you doing, Josie? Are you all right? I'm all right. I'm a bit tired. I'm not, I'm not firing on all cylinders. But I found this music online, which is absolutely hokey, and it's called like. Can I just check? Is this another of our sponsors? Uh, uh, yeah, slightly hokey online music. It's, it's called uh, <laughs> oh, "Remove All Negative Blockages, Manifest Anything You Desire, and Release Negative Energy." Now that's all nonsense, but it's it's really nice. It's like, uh, and so I just put that on. And it just helps helps speed the day along. Um, Do you know what? It doesn't sound like it's going to help speed the day along. So you've made me even more. That is, I think they're going to sponsor us again next week because hopefully. you've made them really enigmatic, but and I, people are going to, you know, find out what that uh, <laughs> really is. So psychological, which is um, again, like the, what I want to say is, with all of your books, as I said, as I kind of mentioned in the interview, I, I, I think they're tremendously pragmatic, and that's one of the things that I. I particularly drawn to them I, th- I think you give people a lot of information which they can use that's, that's the and, goal yeah a lot of the time yeah and that is and i wonder how how do you feel at the moment in terms of you know mental health gets talked about a lot but i'm it, it, in some ways but in another way i'm still not sure whether we are in the uk 
really properly dealing, accepting sometimes our, uh, our fragility, that we have these kind of bursts of, of mental health online and kind of campaign stuff. But I, I, and I, don't, I wonder how you feel at the moment in terms of our progress in being able to accept sometimes the difficulties we have with our minds. Yeah, it's, um, <clears throat> I will say it's improved since I first started writing, you know, started The Guardian in 2012. And before that, I was doing more you know, personal blogging and stuff like that. And I think I've said a few times, but you, even then you saw people saying, you know, your usual contrarian funded saying depression is not really a thing. It's people attention seeking. You know, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of still say that now, but that seems a lot less common. Now you get to, if you want to sort of get some attention from you know, the mental health world, you sort of argue that antidepressants aren't a thing. They don't work. They don't do anything, which is a whole other separate and an unhelpful argument. But it's is in a way it's progress. And sort of like at least people now are sort of accepting that depression does exist. You can argue about how severe it is, how debilitating, but it's accepted more now as an actual thing that happens and people get, which is, you know, you know, again, progress of a sort. Um, still plenty of miles to go, but it's, it's, it suggests we're in the right direction. But yeah, I think one of the reasons I wanted to write this book is that I say there's a lot of awareness campaigns and sort of programs and sort of band, bandwagons is probably the right word, I suppose. It's, I don't mean to be so disparaging, but of, no, mental health is important. Let's all take, you know, if you need some self-care, you do that. Or, and, uh, yeah, but then it's kind of been, I think the surface application has been widespread, whereas you know, the more fundamentals haven't been at all. Like a lot of people complain that a lot of reference to mental health usually only ever refer to the anxiety, the depression, the more, let's say, the more palatable disorders. Because when you've got things like psychosis and bipolar and schizophrenia, then it becomes kind of scary and it's more unsettling because that sort of seems for more fundamental and more destabilizing and that's not helpful either to ignore these aspects of it um i think yeah it's, it's the awareness is good but it's, it is kind of being sanitized a lot as in yes mental health problems are a thing but you know take a day to yourself practice self-care do a mindfulness thing and then you'll be fine well no that's yeah you, you've accepted the premise but you've applied <laughs> the wrong well there aren't any solutions but you've sort of you know it's like you want to get it all done in one go saying yep mental health's a thing look after yourself there done next problem and that's not that's not helpful and i think that's that'll probably be backfire in in the medium to short term See that? Can I ask about because that's it? I, I read a book called Muck Mindfulness, uh, but I think it's Ronald Purser, but I might be wrong. But look up Muck Mindfulness to repeat a book, and also Nathan Filer's book, uh, which was originally called The Heartland, and then I think was changed to this book would change your mind about mental health, which is predominantly about ideas of schizophrenia and how it can be defined and how it might. Mm. Um, both those books, to an extent, deal with what they see as a, a, as a problem of. We talk about, oh, you need to look after yourself. Now. And very often what happens there is it detaches the, those problems from actually what might be problems within the world, what might be problems with society, what might mm. be problems with poverty. And all of and, and both of those books, I think, are very interesting for saying if we entirely turn this, oh, this is a mental health issue. And somehow that becomes an island away from, and you know what? Poverty and uh, abuse and all of those things may well be part of that story you we, we can't do you feel that that is is an issue absolutely I've actually because um this book was an audiobook first i've actually even i added a few more bits with after some feedback from people who have read it and have gone through the system many times uh, to reference that fact because i do so you know, i originally say you know cognitive behavioral therapy is often dismissed as it's just talking doesn't mean anything but it has lots of 
uh, positive uh, you know, effects. It has a strong evidence base to say it does and can work and there's mechanisms for it. So trying to explain all that. But this idea that, you know, like again, the government tried to do it not too long ago, saying like, um, we're not going to focus on poverty anymore. We're going to focus on mental health because that's more important. And like, you cannot separate those two things out. You know, mm -hmm. the, 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 the reason people have such bad mental health because living in an impoverished climate or impoverished environment where you can't actually have any you know, help or resources or you can never get away from stress, that will have serious impacts on your mental health. And, you know, like I say, the whole um, muck mindfulness thing, it's, um, it has been co-opted a lot by the workplace because I've spoken to a lot of doctors, especially now, you know, they give, they, they're given resilience training because obviously frontline medicine is a is a very high stressful high stress job at the best of times but now especially during a pandemic it's like 10 times as much and the nhs and whoever employs doctors now gives them resilience training so like when you deal with such stressful situations you do this you do that this is how you cope with it which is you know good it has certain benefits it has you know a positive impact but a lot of the time it's treated as well that, that means i've got a blank check to dump stress on you people because no, your job is stressful, but here's some resilience training. You're resilient now, here's some more stress, here's some more again. And that attitude does pervade everywhere. As in like, you know, when you have uh, you know, a session of training, like CBT is all about, it's meant to, uh, in theory about training people or coaching people to think differently about the problems that are causing their mental health issues. But you know, what if those problems aren't their fault? What if the problems are social, environmental, or you know, what if something's being done to them? And again, that sort of lets that, you know, it ignores the cause and just sort of focuses on the symptoms and can, you know, if someone's actively causing it, like a bad relationship, then it lets that person off the hook. And that's that's not good either. So, yeah, so definitely that is a, an ongoing issue. It's so analogous to so much of how uh, this government approaches <laughs> governing. Like, you know, the, the I just look at how they look at crime and don't, address the causes of why people might be committing crimes or why people might be sort of having behavioural problems and like this every aspect I'm like yeah it's exactly the same approach yeah no but it's a sort of common thing of you know there's a problem here it would be cheaper and easier for us if you fix it yourself so you do that and we'll just carry on doing what we're going to do and you know it happens in the corporate world, it happens in the political world, it happens in online and stuff so yeah, it's a common attitude of what's the easiest solution here so mental health's a problem if we just say it's your problem, then then cool, you know, then we haven't, then we haven't got to change anything, we haven't got to do anything. Mm -hmm. And it's such an easy cop-out a lot of the time. But yeah, that, it, it manifests in so many ways, but it's, it's, it is a problem. Because I think that that bit is, is it's almost, it, it, if you're not in the, you know, you're obviously, this is the world you're in, but it became, the way that it suddenly became so clear of going, of course, this bit of separating the issues of society and we governments do that all the time they have a nice fancy mental health week and then at the same time they're closing loads of respite care so you go okay so you're saying mental health uh, oh we've really got to deal with that also people under high stress situations for in, in carers and things like that we will be closing down the things that actually might give them a few hours where they can have moments which will be incredibly good for their mental health and it does seem to, like so many things it's there's a lot of words and then the actions themselves entirely contradictory to what they're saying oh absolutely and you can see it when you know whenever there's it happens a lot now like johnson or whoever it is sort of says well we must you know <clears throat> must uh, ease lockdown faster because for the benefit of the nation's mental health you don't ever care about it when it's something like you don't want to do you don't it's never a priority when it means like well i'm gonna have to pay some more stuff for mental health care but when it's sort of like well, we, we we can it's the thing we want to do 
and therefore we're going to do it. And if we just say it's for mental health, that means we're allowed to do it and you can't complain. And yeah, so it's very, um, clearly, clearly very conscious choices as to how and when mental health care is important to the people who make decisions. And it reveals just how cynical it is a lot of the time. It's like the whole, think about the children. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, we were thinking about them when you were cutting a lot of the, uh, you know, as, as, as someone who knows a lot of teachers, I'm sure you probably do as well, in terms of, you know, the, the scraping money together sometimes and having to come up with all different fundraisers for things that previously would have not, you know, the fundraisers were for the kind of excess things and now they're actually for the books that are needed and the, and for things that are, you know, directly needed. And then suddenly to have people saying, oh, yeah, no, we, we need to get the children back to school because we're always Think about the children. Nah. nah. So like you know, you think about the children, but, but they also need food. Well, that's that's not our problem. Like well, it kind of is, you know. <laughs> if, if you care about the schools, you care. You should. They should be able to eat at least. Otherwise, they won't be able to get to school because they'll be have literally no energy or not be alive anymore. And that's that's bad as well. I think you know, if you're going to have priorities. Obviously, last year, and you've written about this. Um, your your father died of COVID, and I wondered if. It, it's increased even more your sense of where things where where, where politics and uh health and and your writing that do you, do you feel it's in any way sharpened even more your sense of seeing how your discipline needs to look at what is going on in politics and needs to highlight some of the shortcomings that are coming from Westminster and in other places as well oh absolutely yeah I mean I was in the middle of writing a book <clears throat> when COVID hit, you know, I'm, as you've seen my output, I'm always in the middle of writing a book. That's never, <laughs> that's never not the, the case, but anyway, it's a, it was a tricky one um, about, it's, it's proven to be tricky because it's meant to be about emotion. I thought, well, I've done the happy brain. Um, I've done these sort of like side books, uh, you know, mental health and development stuff, but you know, people ask me after the happy brain, why, why, why happiness, why not any other emotion? Which is, I think, I don't think the reason how insulting that was is like, why didn't you write a different book, not this one? Yeah, so, <laughs> thanks, thanks for that. Um, but I thought, well, that's it's, it's a valid point. Why did I pick that one? Why do we only fix, fix on that one? I thought that'd be a good, interesting book to expand it further and to look at how all the emotions work. Um, so, you know, we agreed to do that and we signed up the contract and everything and then i sort of start looking into it doing the basic grammar and i was oh the science of this is a lot less settled than i thought and um, so i had some lectures on it and had some had some material on it my work and i thought oh i thought this is you know basic stuff but no it's uh, far more fraught far more debated so do this book about emotions um and then obviously my father died in the middle of a pandemic and i was cut off from everyone i cared about and had to do it alone whilst caring for two kids and providing for my family and it was deeply traumatic, very, un very, very unpleasant, very horrific. And it, it sort of gave me better insight, I suppose, in that I now have you know, a more raw and personal experience of going through a mental downtime. You know, I never got to the point where I couldn't function, but I certainly was struggling a lot of the time because, you know, I know, not that nobody else was, but it was a very, very hard time. So it gives you sort of a better idea of, oh, God, imagine, imagine life being like this when this could happen to you randomly. And that's, was awful so it did give me that side of it but then i did sort of you know went through the whole thing of you know experiencing the the, the dominic cummins thing was particularly pertinent when he said like you know he clearly violated the rules no, nobody's fooled by this but we're just going to lie to you anyway because we can do what we want and the excuse of what he did or any good parent would do so well i've not got help from my family and stuff and whilst in this intense period of grief so i'm a bad parent i guess and so are all the rest of us and yeah, and I think that's not a sort of thing because politics, you know, the way it's set up, it works for 
people like the ones we have in current charge currently of the cause and effect is so far apart and they can say these ridiculous claims like we're going to do this we do that and then people will say oh cool that'll, that'll be nice and then vote for them and they'll never do it all the things they do will have serious negative consequences for other people but it happens too slowly to you know, people to learn like every time they do something something screws up and and i think keeping it in the public sphere is important now it's sort of keep flagging it up so it's in my next book about what i went through experience and all that and things and but yeah so i, I do want to make sure that you know, these things aren't good you know these, i think i've written a thing about for the shambles network but the whole alison pearson thing of people just writing that oh covid nothing to worry about covid's you know, ridiculous and people like myself who experienced the, the brutal raw effects of it you know, the extreme grief you went through have to see this you know and sort of have, get presented with this idea that your pain is irrelevant you are not important you are <clears throat> complaining for no reason you should just suck it up and that makes it so much harder and you know it's like i've, I've said this it's, it's the online equivalent of honking at a funeral possession because you want to get to the pub it's like you're inconveniencing me and that's not really in any way acceptable we wouldn't allow that sort of thing in real life but um just because it happens in online or, or a privileged media person doesn't mean we should let them get away with it and you know, i'm trying to start doing more to make sure that at least if there are no consequences at least people are aware of how bad this is so yeah it's very much informed my uh, output at the moment. I don't see how it couldn't really. It it really, it's so interesting to me that there are all these people l- like you that have such a clear specialism. And yet, you know, no matter the approach, I'm thinking of like Danny Dorling talking about social geography, like the solutions all still point to our society needs radical change. Mm-hmm. Our society needs to become more compassionate. The last 40 years have taken a toll. It, it's like everyone is sort of chipping into this mountain and they all get to the same center, which is you can't ignore this. <laughs> and yeah, everyone would much rather be like, no, no, just polish the outside of the mountain on your little bit mm. and it'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know? it, it is a weird problem, isn't it, where you talk about, because we, we, we've seen, I think it's been particularly highlighted during this COVID uh, crisis, but it, it's gone on for a lot longer than that, that there are people who are repeatedly wrong. Their opinions are that they're, they're, they're journalists, etc., who on Dangerous each issue well. yeah, have been wrong. And then they're invited back on the panel again for the purposes of balance of having someone who's wrong again. And, and there, there must be a point where you've been wrong so many times. I mean, I think, I can't remember the research that was done. I'll look it up and we'll, we'll, we'll stick as a flare. But there was research done on how many times, I, th- I think it was, originally it was like financial journalists, but it was then broadened out of the actual, the likelihood of being wrong when calling a different current affairs issue. And actually people who work in current affairs, it turns out, were more likely to call it wrong than just members of the public and other control groups generally, and that and and it does seem to feed. I mean, Naomi Wolf, I, I find that very sad because I remember, you know, I remember when I was early twenties, Beauty Myth came out, and that was mm-hmm. about the same time as Susan Faludi's Backlash and various others. And then in the early part of this century, she was doing a lot of kind of um, campaigning and talking about what the Bush administration was doing wrong. And I wonder if somewhere along the line, it's an interesting thing, isn't it, that once the conspiracy mindset kind of takes hold, mm-hmm. sometimes politically, because I think we've all seen that with people where you go, oh, I th- you used to be, I'm pretty sure, a kind of left-wing conspiracy, you know, a conspiracy theorist on the left, and somewhere along the line, you've now decided that, that Trump's the one, or, or whatever yeah, it might be, who's, who's with- not being dealt with, you know, not being given a fair hand. And that's, I mean, that that's like, well, also, yeah. I don't think necessarily Trump was given a fair hand in some ways. It doesn't mean that he's not 
a, a despicable, terrible person. Like, oh, I think he had. I think. Do you know what? I'd say it was a fair hand. I would well, say fair, overly I fair. Know. I, 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 I think. Looking think, at the I tr- don't know what. I guess we need an hour to unpick what we're talking about here because, like, you could probably say that, you know, but either way, I don't think he deserved a fair hand. Like, I think it's horrible. Like, but, yeah. Yeah, you have your hand itself has to have some fairness in it. Before, that That's one of the problems, isn't it? Which is, it's, it's a bit like the, the culture that we have, which sometimes is, look, you've got to start listening to other people. You've got to start listening to the people who have very, that they, they have legitimate concerns. And then you listen to the legitimate concerns and many of them are based on bullshit that isn't actually true, that yeah. was kind of popularised by the newspaper. And you continue listening to the things that are wrong and then you try and have a conversation. It turns out the listening is very much one-sided. Mm. This is, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the people in what is called the listen to people with legitimate concerns Concerns, have no desire to listen to themselves so you're you're really kind of screwed in that situation it's it's like the problem of the liberal isn't it which is going we, we must allow everyone to oh but they won't oh we've accidentally let the nazis in <laughs> i do really love um you saying that so on the panel today we we've got uh, f- somebody here talking about this and for balance we've got somebody who's completely wrong about <laughs> yeah <laughs> see if only they did that that would be that. fine if, if if every time they got introduced now, uh, the last I'll, I'll just make up a name like Toby or whatever. You know, Toby. Uh, over the last year, you've been uh, consistently, consistently wrong. wrong on seventeen different issues, some of which may well have actually uh, affected uh, the death rates within this country. But we're hoping that on the eighteenth, think you might be right. So give it another go. What a lucky game to play. Um, I wanted to get, going back to mental health. Actually, there was there was uh, though. Nevertheless, I'm dealing with my own mental health as I bring up these Fine. issues, as you can see. The very very wide umbrella. This all counts. It's all legit. Um, <laughs> but that bit where you were saying that you were still able to function now, mm. when when you were going through grief and you were, you know, all of the different things that you were having to deal with as well. Um, is that one of the problems as well we have in terms of discussion with mental health? Which I think for a lot of people, they are able to function while at the same time in in themselves they are in a, 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 a state of internal feuding and sometimes extreme discomfort, mental discomfort. But because they're still able to function, they feel that, oh, well, I'm okay. And therefore they, you know, that, that and, and I think, you know, there's, there's people I've known who've almost lived their whole life like that and it's only quite often been near the end that you've found out the battles that they've had and sometimes you never really find out. Mm. Um is that part is that one of the problems that we deal with which is i th- i think people are and when i say ashamed it's not the shame of having them it, it's a shame to that i should make any bother you know I, I i'm doing okay i'm surviving and that means that people can keep very negative things still swirling around inside them oh absolutely i mean <clears throat> it's sort of one thing i do go with the book a lot is in the difficulty of establishing the threshold of mentally well to mentally unwell i mean where do you where does that line occur? The point we are officially now, you know, in in need of help. Or like I say, I, I, I say I was and I was able to function because I was never diagnosed with anything, and you know, my life carried on on a day to day basis, you know, as, as it normally would. You know, but when lockdown ends, would I, you know, am I going to be okay? Or um, it's a fact that you know, I'm because you know at the moment I've lost people and I've not seen anyone right now. There's occasional phone calls, a few Zoom calls, but that's not quite the same. So. The people are missing from my life. I do, you know, my life doesn't register that. So when I would normally be seeing everyone again, and I won't be able to see what my father and my grandmother, it turns out, who passed away soon after, 
will I hit me hard all of a sudden? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen then because I might have a sort of relapse in terms of experiencing the grief and trauma. Or I might be okay. I might have got over it. I don't know. And that's something to look forward to, I guess, in the broader sense of the word. But it is, um, <clears throat> yeah, so like, you know, the ability to function. Because I think one of the things I mentioned early on is that the most common stat thrown around is one in four people have a mental health problem you know, every every year or every year is diagnosed in that respect. And if that's the case, then you know, logically, why do we need mental health awareness at all? If one in four of us is dealing with it, then surely everyone should be as aware of it as possible because you know, not one in four people are completely isolated and don't talk to anyone. So, you know, I, I think I, I, would, I don't know the exact numbers, but I'd say that fewer than one in four people support a football team. But football gets rolling coverage around the clock and you know, billions of pounds invested in it and some players are traded for more than small countries' net worth. And that's you know, that's perfectly accepted. So you know, people are aware of football and promote it. And why is mental health treated the same way? And I think it's because it's, you know, it's a scary thing. And even if the one in four stat isn't correct, it's already half that, one in eight people, that still suggests there are plenty of people out there who are getting by, who are managing, who are functioning on their own terms and you know, basis because you know the mental health infrastructure in this country doesn't have a lot of you know, any given it. You know, even getting mental health help at all is an uphill struggle, which is itself a problem because when you, you know, experience a mental health issue, then you know, going through a laborious bureaucratic system and uh, waiting 18 months for any sort of intervention isn't something you're really in a good space to do. You might need help right now. And we, we have crisis teams, we have you know, instant help and stuff, but it's, it is, it's often a lottery as to how much help you have access to, depending on what issues you have and, and so on and so on. So you know, necessity will make a lot of people just have to endure. And I think that combined with the fact that you, oftentimes you can't see mental health problems. Like if someone had a broken leg and was walking around with their leg pointing backwards, people would be like, oh my God, what's wrong with you? Let's get you to a hospital. And someone walking around with recurring depression or you know, persistent psychosis, you know, unless you study them closely, you're not going to notice. So it sort of goes unseen and invisible. And that's where I think the awareness comes in. You need to sort of make aware that just because you see someone walking around looking objectively normal to you, doesn't mean that they're not going through a lot of hard times or like internal strife or whatever, however it manifests. So yeah, there's a big, big problem with that as well. I think, you know, even if all the people who have mental health problems are suddenly just open about saying, yes, I have a mental health problem, I need help. The help wouldn't be there and you know, not, for, not for everyone at the same time. And a lot of people wouldn't be able to sort of objectively confirm that. They say, oh yeah, you, you look all right to me and you're managing, you know. I think the ability to function is not necessarily the same as the ability to exist and endure and be happy about stuff. So, so yeah, so there's a big part of that. You know, it's, it's another ongoing problem with that. Like, how do you perceive it? How is it recognized? What are you supposed to do when you have a mental health issue? And, and so on and so on. I, uh, again, you know, if it were to be taken, not even like seriously is not the right word, if it were to be addressed in a manner that was realistic about mm. how prevalent it is and how much things need to change, like that's an immense amount of resources, isn't it? It's sort of, mm. you can totally see why they'd prefer to be like, no, do a mindfulness webinar, <laughs> goodbye. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like it says something about what a society we could be in such a positive way to at least understand the scale of it and try and think about how we might envision it actually being addressed fully and not sort of mm. sticking plaster. Yeah, I mean, I think there are potentially some, you know, everything, every change you make is going to be pricey, obviously, in terms of when you 
making changes for an entire country. That's just an inevitable side effect. But we make massive decisions for <laughs> affect millions of people, what we governments do all the time. I do. Yeah. Well, you might. I, I don't know, but <laughs> I, I, I always ever replied, I think, is the choice. <laughs> like to come and say, like, Josie's turn to run the country for a week, which I think is a good system. <laughs> Listen, it'd be a big week. <laughs> yeah, I, there wouldn't there wouldn't be any platitudes from me. It would be all action. <laughs> At one press conference, just working away. I, I like it. It'd be nice. But um, <laughs> yeah, so look, they, they potentially are like even like, things like making support easier to get, or and not making it actively difficult to you know get you know income support or anything like that, or the idea that you know the whole financial aspect of it, saying like, well, you can't give the three percent of people, you know, not even that much, who are benefit it's an opportunity you have to sort of make the system as hard as possible so those people don't get anything and you know if you just, just accept the fact that some people you know any system people will abuse it i mean people at the top do more than anyone but mm -hmm. i think it's the fact that you know you, we, we could either help 90 percent of people and two percent of people will you know exploit that a bit or you can have absolutely no one to make sure that the, 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 those two percent people don't get don't get don't get their way yeah. Um, yeah. It's my least favourite thing. People's people's favourite straw men are working class fraudsters and middle class people taking something they don't need. <laughs> people hate that so much. Yeah. They're like, no, we can't have universal service because then someone who's basically fine might use it once. Yes. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's fine too. Yeah. <laughs> like, But people don't at all want to address upper class prevalent fraud and abuse that is like never look up never mm. look up it's, it's called crab bucket stuff but i mean i think it's a lot of the throw on arguments i think come down to a, not a tendency but like an, an innate sort of need for the brain to we don't like uncertainty we don't like a lack of autonomy so we'll be far more inclined to focus on and want to tackle problems that we think are dealable with rather than mm -hmm. Like no, tackling the entrenched powers of all corporations, that's a big ask. You know, making all the world's companies change their manufacturing processes is a very big ask. I can recycle more. I can I can stop using I can stop using so much meat. So you know, people say, well, those aren't the same thing. Those aren't really helpful. Like they're what we can do. We we have those options. That's so interesting to think of it in like um in terms of the brain and what why the brain is choosing to sort of go down this that path but like then i feel like governments just very much exploit that and mm. ingrain mm. in people that lots and lots of lots of things are not doable yeah totally also like are not desirable i mean we, we can't mm. technically do anything really in terms of you know if it's physically possible and the resources are there for it but See, that is the most low-key self-help manual I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. There you go. Yeah. If, if, I, if I've contributed something today, it's that. So there we go. <laughs> the sky is reasonably sort of the limit. <laughs> I like that. Ah, I, I, there's a book I could feasibly do, I suppose. I love Human it. Self-help-ish book. <laughs> I did. I thought that your book was very compassionate and your book, obviously, you know, the last sentence in it is like, I really hope if this has helped anyone, it's useful. And like, I think it is a, a book designed to to help. Not that anyone's going to buy it now because they found out the ending. <laughs> you, <laughs> Imagine if that was the twist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He seems like such a cruel man suggesting cruel. Oh, hang on a minute. He was kind all along. The unreliable <laughs> psychological narrator trick. 
I almost, my PhD thesis, I almost submitted it with the very last line saying, well, that's what I think anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I should probably it before I could submit it. Oh, damn it. <laughs> no one's I'm trying read. to remember how... Sorry, Josie. No, no, I just think people do not put enough real kind of zingers at the end of novels and they really ought to. Yeah. That's all. I think one of mine, I was very tempted to put it at the end of it, and it was all a dream. <laughs> For no reason, just like a, a long... That would be so good, if, especially if it was your book, but it's like yeah. a well-researched exactly. scientific Non-fiction, just like telling how the brain works. <laughs> and it was all a Turned dream. out, the whole time, he was asleep. Anyway, bye. Well, you had such a happy brain. And I really believed the brain was happy because it was awake. <laughs> but it was not happy for that reason. Please, can you do more research into ADHD and write me a book about ADHD, please? Uh, it would be so useful okay. for me. <laughs> if you like, yeah. I mean, like, Thank you. Well, I'm also looking for the next project because, you know, I... I, 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 I well, it would be so interesting to write about neurodiversity. <laughs> please write about neurodiversity. Okay. That's <laughs> an interesting... I'll, I'll ask you about that, actually, which is... Um, I've spoken to some neuroscientists who get worried about the term neurodiversity, that they think that mm -hmm. sometimes that can be used, again, a bit like what we were talking about before, issues that should be dealt with, they sometimes worry may well, oh, no, 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 it's fine. That's, That's just, just neurodiversity. That's a, and did you ever worry about that, Dean? It is a thing. <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's something else I mentioned in the book. It's like this, the people who train psychologists who argue that mental health problems do not exist, as in they are not, you know, not saying people don't have, you know, unpleasant or negative internal states but they argue that that is just a valid reaction to society which needs to change so the mm. idea that you can be mentally unwell is purely a social construct and every mental reaction is valid uh, for something experiencing it's just that we don't have a society which allows them to exist you know in in a, in a way which they can which, which they should be able to you know like um, if because they what they what's happened to them is correct and we should have a system in place to allow them to be like that and we don't and that's society's fault not uh, not the individuals and i can sort of see the rationale for that I mean, we could definitely start to be more compassionate and more embracing of diverse ways of being um as we do with like other things but i don't know this idea that you know a lot of it comes down to just the underlying premise is for me is that the brain doesn't go wrong and as someone who's written about it extensively i know it does quite readily quite often and i think it's it's somebody got you got to get a point at some point saying look this isn't meant to be happening this is a thing which is a disruption has occurred here i say we don't do it so much with physical health you don't say like those stones are meant to be in those kidneys. That's the thing which, you know, if you're, you're, you're like a urinary... We're a better yeah. society. We acknowledge yeah, that. Yeah, you're urinary diverse. Like, I don't think that's quite how it works. But, uh, you know, so... But we, we, we have objective standards. Here. We say, like, oh, this is how kidneys meant to look. This is how they look at the inside. We know how they work. We know what happens there. And this large calcium rock isn't meant to be there. And... Um, I did know, I noticed how much pe Pepsi you've drunk, and <laughs> yeah. I think that actually Freud has suggested that the reason you've gone on this is go, it really is beginning to seep out. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to write about it, and this is my research. I'm, like, I'm going method. I'm just going to embrace it. But, um, but yeah, so like there is, I think it's, it's good to acknowledge that other people can exist in ways which don't need to be clinically you know, assessed or recommended. And again, that's another thing, that's the flip side is the old medicalization, as in if you keep saying every deviation from the norm is a disorder, then you're going to end up having more problems. So it's a really fine balance to walk between 
like nobody you know it's like everyone's a winner thing or everyone must be the same there's a i think there's happy middle ground i don't think we found it yet but that is it's interesting when you talk about you know with with uh kidney stones there is and the thing is you can objectively see them as well mm. they can be and that that seems to be always the problem with so many of the kind of the, the mistakes that can happen in psychology the mistakes that can happen in terms of de- deciding what is a mental illness and what isn't a mental illness and as we know from the dsm the history there there's some pretty kind of uh, quirky is a polite way of putting some of the choices um but that's the difficult thing isn't it is you're dealing with an object where in terms of us the usness of it it's a subjective experience and that i think is such a difficult thing isn't it which is to say when we have to decide hang on a minute those are the kidney stones in my head if you see what i mean <laughs> this this is not the way it's meant to feel that seems to be a lot of the battle yeah and i think you mentioned about like people who may be able to function when no, they could have a genuinely diagnosable clinical problem but it's not full-on stopping them from being able to go about their lives and do what's required in order to sustain their existence and <clears throat> then like you could argue then, then the bar's been put too low isn't it? it shouldn't be all about just day-to-day survival they should be able to have a better quality of life than this and then you should be able to put some intervention there and given how you know, scarce mental health resources are that doesn't happen a lot and that's unfortunate but yeah, like so the dsm and the icd the icd 10 or 11 whichever one are now they they have specific criteria for what counts as mental health problems and okay, I, i've got a bit in the book where i say that like don't really say mental illness anymore because the reason like back to the section 28 thing you know until the 70s homosexuality was an official mental disorder in a lot of these texts and that's not good now in hindsight but it was that was the genuine opinion view of the medical professions worldwide and you know, at, at the time it filled filled the criterion it was statistically uh, anomalous it wasn't you know, it was a very small percent of the population were um homosexuals so it wasn't normal in the mathematical sense and people who underwent homosexuality underwent who were, were homosexual had a lot of stress and you know, strife and stuff and it but then as we know now because of the stigma around homosexuality not because it was causing them problems in the direct sense and you know it's socially maladaptive you can't reproduce if you're homosexual so we can't have more children therefore society will end and that's bad and these views have since come a long way like we've think well that's ridiculous so sex isn't about just pure reproduction that's not how humans have worked for countless millions of years and you know it's yes it's 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 not a you know homosexuality isn't overrepresented the population perhaps it's a small percentage of people but the same goes for people who have ginger hair or you know have certain tattoos you don't diagnose all them as well and so you know we've moved on we've advanced and that's great to, to think like you know, we've gone from homosexuality as a mental disorder to same-sex marriage is fine five decades that's a really good bit of progress but you know what are we diagnosing now which we might think differently about in some 50 years time and it, uh, you know, we've come a long way but we still might have a long way to go so referring to something now as an illness it's a you know, it's definitely definitely a value judgment saying you're ill you're unwell you are not meant to be like this and then like in 15 years i go oh actually no you're fine and you've had all the interventions and treatments which we suggest then that's that's not going to be helpful well, again- you can totally see how the way that society was treating people might have caused distress and difficulty. Yeah. (laughs) And again, it comes down to that, doesn't it? It's like reacting perfectly validly to being treated badly by society. I think, yeah, just just because it was a scientific consensus doesn't mean it wasn't wildly wrong a lot of the time. I mean, 
like in the 1910s and 13s, they tried to do a census of uh, people in America, like um, newly arrived immigrants and the black communities. And they found they had shockingly low IQs because you know, the IQs of like 10 or 13, 13 year olds when they were full grown adults. They go, these people are completely stupid. They shouldn't be allowed to you know, involved in any important jobs, shouldn't be allowed to vote, they shouldn't have any infrastructure because they are mentally subnormal. They can't be trusted. And then look at the IQ tests. They were like clearly designed by very rich white men from the 1920s like they identify these five everyday items tennis court public baths horse-drawn carriage what the hell never seen any of these things what, what what even is this and like well yeah of course yeah i yeah I, it's very odd that anyone still holds truck with with like the idea of i IQ testing and IQs, like the only people I ever see who like are like, this is important, are kind of right wing guys <laughs> who've obviously taken a test online once mm. and are like, this is my IQ. Yeah. <laughs> I do play a lot of the, um, you know, the, the word games on my phone and they keep flashing up the adverts saying the one game all neuroscientists are begging people to play. Like, don't, don't you dare. <laughs> you did not think what I was What game are you begging people to play? Um, neuroscientists don't beg people to play games. We beg for grant money and more time at the bar. That's basically our I'm two begging. I'm disappointed that you're not begging us to play one game <laughs> or one trick. Could you tell us the one trick that doctors don't want I can't because then doctors will hate me and then you know, they're already kind of unhappy with me for <laughs> getting all this attention when they're doing much better work than I am. So, you know. All right. If you can't tell us that, can you tell us uh, about child stars that we won't believe what they look like now? <laughs> I mean, are you able to help us with any of these issues? Um, well, I know a couple, I guess, who are child stars, but you know them too. So that's not really... Oh, it's just, yeah, this is... The, our sponsors, of, who are the people who do those, are going to be so annoyed now. Yeah. The, uh, um, th we've run out of time, which is a pity, because it's... Oh. Uh, um, your, your book is out now. Um, all your books are still out now. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and and for anyone who is still d dealing with all of those issues of uh, your your book as well for uh, how teenagers can deal with their parents is particularly uh, useful at this time. Yes, it's become quite pertinent lately, which is handy, I guess. This is, I think that's a hundred percent a book that you ought to read and quote on TikTok and to become a TikTok millionaire. I have actually been told that several times, so maybe there is something in that. So. Well, I, but also in a genuine sense, yeah, no. I think it could be so helpful and so wonderful to get those ideas out there to those people. Hmm. Like, please do. Okay. You're, you're, you're the fifth person to tell me that. I've given you two tasks, Dean. I've given okay. you two tasks. Yeah, I'll try and fit in my busy schedule. <laughs> Thank you very much, Dean Burnett. Uh, go and get Thank psychological, uh, and yeah. um, we will. Uh, uh, I'm not sure who we got. I don't know who's going to be on next week, but yeah, catch up with lots of the other ones that we've done this year, including uh, uh, Nikesh Shukla, which was a, a lovely conversation. Alan Davis's uh, one, which was uh, um, a lot of fun. Well, not a lot of fun. Actually, that's the wrong word for it. It's such an interesting book. But well, it was also fun. It was fun. But yeah, it's kind of fun. like yeah. you know when you you, yeah. you give yeah. the wrong introduction to something, and then someone goes, "Well, I thought it was." going to be um a, a like a laugh out loud comedy for the whole thing and then i was really hit hard by that so that's uh um that's obviously what we aim at the end of every episode we should say and if any of the issues that we've dealt with have in any way affected you good that's what we hope by creating <laughs> things happens and we hope there's some effect maybe it doesn't merely drift over you and i hope they've been in a positive way we are food too for the rest of the day josie Oh, God. Um, well, I've got a bit of time. Uh, I'm so dull, but the only thing that's keeping me going at the moment is doing yoga every day uh, with uh, a yoga 
um, a yoga video, uh, monthly video thing. So I'm going to do that for the best part of an hour. Then I'm thinking that what I'm going to do is take my sound recorder out and try and see if that will help me do some creative work because uh, my time is so small to get stuff done that I am actually finding sitting at my desk unproductive and I'd like to. Oh, well, yeah, see how much you can combine in one day. And Dean, what are you up to? Um, I've got a few more things to record after this, some things to write for people because I'm kind of behind the schedule because of um, homeschooling and children who feel like sleep is an optional extra. So, uh, yeah, but yeah, I'm just working really, which is nice. It's just it's nice to be able to say I can work, which is always, you know, not the not woe is me. But like, yes, I, I have work to do, so I'll, I'll do that. And we should tell Lisa that brain yapping that uh, the podcast series you do with uh, oh, course, Rachel yes. as well is uh, is also on Cosmic Shambles. Goodbye. Thank you very much for listening. Remember, patreon.com slash bookshambles is where you can go to support the podcast and get all the goodies I talked about off the top that you probably skipped over. Brain Yapping with Rachel and Dean. New episodes out every fortnight. Back next week with another new episode. Uh, I'm not sure who the guest is yet uh, because I'm not. So it'll be a surprise for all of us. Have a great week. Take care and we will see you soon. Bye for now. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.